You know, prayer is really important. I don't know that we appreciate the power of prayer and and how important it is that we communicate our needs to God because, you know, that that's important. That motivates him. Think about you as a parent. As a child comes to you and asks for your help, it's, it's nice that they ask and not just um, be implied that you will. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, God cares for us and he loves us and he, he, he provides, but, you know, it's, it's just polite that we ask. And sometimes that's what prayer is. It's just politely asking, Father, step in. I need a little help. I need some areas here where I need to be strengthened. And uh, when we can pray for each other and intercede for each other, that's, uh, that's pretty powerful stuff. And uh, that's the currency of heaven, by the way, in case you don't recognize what, how important prayer is. So that reminds me that tonight at 6 o'clock, we have prayer time here. Uh, every, uh, every Sunday night at 6 o'clock, Pastor Rip's faithful to here and uh, a couple others as well. And just come on in, and it's just a real casual time of prayer for an hour or so, and we just uh, just pray. Anyway, this morning, uh, we're going to continue our study on discipline. And it's been something we've been talking about over the weeks, um, sporadically interrupted between Easter and a few other things that we were gone. And uh, so we're going to talk about discipline today. And in, in this regard, we're going to talk about how discipline is good for us, how it strengthens us. I know it's something maybe we don't like to think about. Maybe it's one of those things that aren't our favorite topics, but clearly it is. And so we're talking about Hebrews 12. That's where we've been. And, uh, you know, Hebrews 12, um, I find, is one of those chapters in the Bible that you can read over and over again and get something new out of it every time you read it. In fact, what chapter can't you find that in? Really? Think about it. The Holy Spirit has authored this amazing book, and... The more we read it, the more we get out of it. And if you, have a, if you struggle with reading the Bible, because I know some people do. Some people look at it and say, it's, I don't understand it. It's too complicated for me. Um, here's a suggestion. Before you start reading, pray. And ask the Holy Spirit to come in and open up your mind. Because he's the author of it. If you want to understand what a book is, talk to the author. Talk to the author of the book, and they will give you the insights on what they were really trying to get across in the words that are on that page. And so if you pray first and say, Holy Spirit, I want to I read your word, but, you know, I struggle because maybe my attention span isn't quite what it used to be, or maybe I struggle with some other, my mind goes to other places. Just invite him to come in and open his word up. And as much as I can promise this, he will. He will. If you ask him, he will come in and help you understand what he's trying to say. Why wouldn't he do that? Think about it. Why wouldn't he give you insight? Why wouldn't he give you revelation of his word? So that's just how we read God's word. So today, we're going to be talking about discipline, and we're going to discuss how discipline will change us, grow us. It will help us to become the mature Christian that God desires of us. It will also strengthen our, our Christian walk so that we can be more um, able to overcome the evil world that we live in. Because you know what? We do live in an evil world, right? Do you see the evil around us? Do you recognize it on a daily basis? And do you know that God can help us overcome the evil, that we don't have to succumb to that, that we don't have to, we don't have to give in to evil, that we can overcome that? 
And as we do that, it makes us more effective in how we can share Christ to the world that we're in because we all have a world around us that is full of broken people that need Christ. Think of, it, think of how you came to Christ. You came to Christ because somebody shared Christ with you, right? So you came to Christ because somebody shared Christ. And so here's the deal. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. We need to share Christ with this world around us. And as we do that, we will see Christ move. And here's, that's, this is one of the reasons why discipline is so important. Because we need to be consistent in our life. We need to be a life of discipline so that we can be a good, a good vision of Christ to the world. Because so many people that don't read the Bible, you've, the old saying is sometimes you're the only Bible they read because they are watching and examining your life. So discipline is necessary. So we're going to talk about two major components of discipline. The first one is a discipline in the form of corrective action. And we've talked about this. This is, this is areas actually could be um, chastisement or punishment, if you will. Um, but it's intended to correct bad behaviors. This is a form of discipline that is normally seen as negative. <laughs> this is the form of discipline that we normally run away from because we don't want anybody to tell us that we're bad. Right? <laughs> Nobody likes to be told that you're not doing the right things. And this can bring thoughts of pain. And, and it can also re- remind us maybe of some abusive things that have happened in our life because sometimes discipline can appear abusive. And sometimes people have disciplined abusively. And, and we talked about that a few weeks ago when we talked about the, this. We spent more time talking about that. But... Um, I want to make sure that we don't allow that the corrective form of discipline to be a negative. But we have to recognize that it's positive and we have to welcome it. The second form of discipline that I think that we're going to talk about today is the, the discipline that is really learned behaviors. And it's really going to be a training or a developing in us how to do the right things and how not to do the wrong things. Um, but it takes, this is the one that takes quite a bit of time because this is the one that develops habits. Um, you know, I, I, I like to golf, and if I'm not careful, I can develop bad habits in my swing, and when I do that, um, I, I, my game goes to pot, and I don't do well, and sometimes I have to have an instructor come alongside and say, change that, or change this, or do this, or set up this way. And it may seem strange, may seem hard, it may not seem natural to me, but I've gotten myself so used to swinging in a bad way that I've got a habitual bad swing, and that's why I have habitually bad scores. But if I learn, if I listen, I can improve the game. And it becomes, it makes it more fun, right, Lane? <laughs> It can be more fun. But, but discipline like this is a good thing. This is the kind of discipline that a marathon runner would have because a marathon runner, as we've talked about in the past few weeks, um, life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And uh, so we need to learn how to develop the good habits that a marathon runner will learn, like a good diet. I have to eat good food. I have to, have, I have to nourish my body well. I have to discipline myself to run a mile extra 
tomorrow that I ran today. I need to punish my body. I need to put myself to the test. Uh, I need to avoid the bad things that would hinder me. I need to avoid the junk food and, and maybe uh, sleeping, staying up too late at night watching, uh, I don't know, binging on a TV show or something like that because I need to get up the next morning and run some more. And so I have to do all these things to discipline myself to be a winner when I run the marathon. And that's just what it is. And so it's only as we allow really both of these forms of godly discipline into our lives that we can become more like Christ and that we can be more heavenly productive in this ungodly and evil world that we live in. Because here's the thing. People are watching us all the time. And if I'm a disciplined person, in other words, if I accept God's discipline in a corrective form, and then when I am disciplined to live in a life that is consistent with God's word, people are seeing that. And when they see that happening in a life, and that life is full, and that life has a sense of peace about it, it's attractive to the world. It's attractive for a person that's living in chaos to see a person not living in chaos. And if you exercise godly discipline, you, this, you will live a life of composure. You'll live a life of consistency in a form of, in a world full of chaos. And people will wonder, what is it that you have? I, I want that. And it gives you an opportunity to share Christ. And that's why discipline is so important. Because if I don't live in that kind of discipline, then I'm confusing to the world because I'm claiming one thing and then they're looking at me living no different than they are. Upset all the time, nervous all the time, anxious all the time. Because I'm not allowing God's discipline to settle into my life. So how can I be different than the world? How can I be attractive if I'm not allowing God to change me? To change your golf swing, all right? Change your attitude. Change the thing that is keeping you from living that victorious life. And when you start living like that, people are going to start asking questions. And that's a good thing. You know, let me say this, too. I really believe that people like to be disciplined. And they appreciate discipline. Children like to be disciplined. Whether you like it or not, whether they whether they'll admit it or not, children like to know the boundaries. They like to know how far they can go. We're no different. We're just grown-up children is what we are. And we'd like to be disciplined. If you're really honest with yourself, you like it when you're disciplined, and you like it when you are living a life of discipline. You like it, first of all, because it proves that you're loved. As we talked before about a dad doing disciplining his child, it takes effort, takes time. It's hard work to be the disciplinarian. But when you discipline, it proves that you love. It proves that you care about that person enough to discipline them. So it proves love. And then once the correction is over and the training begins, it feels good to be trained and focused on a goal. It feels good to get up in the morning with a plan, an action plan, that I'm going to do this and not do that. It feels good to know that I have, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my Bible today and I'm going to pray and I'm going to do these things to intentionally do something that makes you feel better about yourself than just going with the wind. 
You know what I'm talking about? Both aspects of discipline give us a purpose and give us a sense of well-being and a sense of safety in a world that is out of control. Think about that a little bit. Think about how important it is to, first of all, be disciplined so that you know that you're loved. And then have a goal, have a plan to know where you're going. And then how it brings a sense of order into a chaotic world. So that's why we're talking about discipline. This is why it's so important. Our text today is Hebrews chapter 12. Continue not from what we've been talking about. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, it says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with this. Father, Lord, as we dig into your word now, I pray that you do exactly what we said earlier, that we're inviting you, Holy Spirit, to give us revelation knowledge, that we're inviting you, the author of this book, to allow us to break it down correctly, that we would see it the way you would have us to see it, and help us to avoid error in any way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So whenever I read a passage, or whenever I read anything that starts out with, therefore, we have to go back and wonder what was there before it that we need to say therefore because of it, right? So uh, I think it makes sense at this passage exact, especially that we go back and reread the Scripture before this passage because that will help us. And we've already talked about this a lot, but I need to go back and do it again. So let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, That's the preceding verses. It says, Hebrews 12, starting at verse 5, it says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected him for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And here's the kicker. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Think about it. If discipline isn't painful, then it's not discipline. Discipline requires an element of stress, an element of whatever I'm doing, I want it to stop it because I want the discipline to be over. <laughs> I don't want to live in a state of discipline like in this, in, in, in when it comes to pain. But then the verse says, later on, however, it produces, it produces, is discipline, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's a, this is a great passage of Scripture. I, I encourage you to go back and read it again. Over, read it a few times. And I'm not going to go back and reteach what we already talked about on this, but um, up to this point in time, though, God is really disciplining his children. God is the one that disciplines his children. And um, 
you know, he's doing it in a time of, in a way of, of chastisement, in a way that is saying that I love you enough that I'm going to do the things that I need to do to bring your attention to the point of where you're at. And I think the reason that a lot of people don't like to think that God disciplines is because they don't want, I think they got this messed up idea in their mind that God never does anything bad to you. And let me explain what I'm talking about. You see, when I was a kid, I got disciplined, even though you probably didn't think I'd need it. But I got disciplined a few times but by my dad. If you knew my dad, you, you knew my dad would be probably pretty quick to the, to the belt, which he was. But, you know, here's the thing. I deserved it every time I got it. But my dad never one time said, Mike, listen, I, I don't want you to think that I'm a bad guy. You need to be disciplined. You need to be spanked. And, and I don't want you to think that I, I'm the bad guy. So you know what? I, uh, I asked Joe next door, my neighbor, and he's going to come over and spank you. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> my dad did the spanking. And, and why, why did he do it? Because he knew the level that he had to go to to get my attention. You see, the spanking is not the discipline. That's so important, and, he, and, and I'm so glad he taught me this. The spanking is the attention getter. The discipline comes in the conversation afterwards. Because, and, and I, I believe spanking's good. I, I don't, I'm not going to go with this woke stuff, not this nonsense. Spanking is good for this reason. Because it tells my child that I love him enough to put a little pain in his life to get him to stop and think about something. You see, if it was just a swat in the butt and then go sit in the corner and think about it, then all I've done is made him mad. And the kid is just in the corner stewing and saying, oh, I hate my dad. I hate him. I'm never gonna, he's so mean to me. You see, a spanking has to get to the point where you think you're going to die. There's got to be a breaking of, of, of the kid's intellect. There's got to be a breaking of his, of his will so that he's willing to listen and then when he's afraid of you, then he'll listen to you. And then you know it's effective when you can have the conversation and your child crawls up in your lap and gives you a hug. That's discipline. But until you go to that point, all you're doing is making him mad and you're, you're giving him reason to get angry with you and to stay angry with you. That's not abusive. Now, you have to look at it and be careful about it because if God's going to discipline his children, he does the same thing. He doesn't say, Mike, I'm going to discipline you and then turn us over to Satan because Satan wouldn't stop. So God disciplines his children. God disciplines me. God disciplines you. And he does it in a way that is good for you and it's good for me. Does that make sense? So, okay, then if God does the discipline, when he disciplines, what's his demeanor in it? Is God angry? Is he frustrated? Is he, is he perplexed? Is he doing it because he's just totally doesn't know what to do, so he's wringing his hands with you, and he's just going to say, fine, if that's what you want, I'm going to whack you a few times. No, no. 
God doesn't discipline in anger or frustration or perplexity. He disciplines with a purpose. He disciplines because he knows that it's good for you. It's good for me. You see, because if he did it in his anger, he would be dangerous. <laughs> Think about it. Think how quickly God could just wipe us off, the, off this planet if he did it in anger. And the reason is, is that if I'm going to read to you in a minute uh, from a book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was uh, going through, he was detailing for the people the wrath of God that was going to be placed on his people. Because God does get angry, but he gets angry at the sin of people. He doesn't get angry at the people, but the sin. And Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah chapter 10. Whoops, sorry, I turned it off. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, it says, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. First of all, we have to recognize that God is bigger than us. And then he says, we are not able to get to plan our own course. Then he says, so correct me, Lord, but please do it gently. (laughs) Do not correct me in anger, for I would die. So when God does bring correction to us, it's in a way of a planned direction. It's for our good. It's not out of frustration because God would kill us in his anger. And that's not a loving father, right? So when God's disciplining us, he's doing it in love and he's doing it in gentleness. Does that make sense too? Am I still following with me? Have I lost anybody yet? I hope not. So what is this purpose and discipline? You see, the psalmist tells us this. It says, Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there be any wicked way in me, any anxious thoughts in me. See if there's any difference, any, any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's the psalmist crying out again, because we like discipline. We like it. We need to be disciplined. And so the, we're, search, we're crying to God, search me. Know my heart, because sometimes I'm not sure if I know my heart. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever find yourself maybe in a place of, I'm not really sure where I'm at? What am I doing? Where am I going? So I cry out, God, search me. Test me. Know my thoughts. If there's anything wicked in me, then take care of it. Lead me in the way of righteousness. So God's purpose in discipline is to strengthen and lead his children, right? That's what we said at the very beginning. His purpose is to strengthen us and to lead us. You see, we make mistakes. Do we do we not? And sometimes when we make mistakes, it gets a little bit confusing. And sometimes we just need to have um, God's discipline to lead us down the right path because so easily, I'm speaking for myself, so easily I can get distracted. So easily I can go down the path that I shouldn't be on. You know, there's this passage in Matthew that is a very telling passage. And it's one I believe that we all should take to heart. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. It says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads where? To destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. It's a kind of a hard scripture, isn't it? Because it's not, it doesn't go with the American gospel. It doesn't go with the easy gospel. 
that so often we're guilty of preaching. Because it says that wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, in fact, some translations say most, enter through that. And that's where they're living, on that road of compromise, that road that's wide and easy. But yet they claim Christianity. But the small gate and the narrow road that leads to life is inhabited by only a few. Hmm. I, I understand, do you understand what that means? That what, that's, what this is saying to us is that godly discipline helps us stay on the narrow road. That it's easy to live on the wide road of little discipline. It may seem fun in the moment. It may seem where um, I may, may seem fulfilled in the few minutes there I'm for a while until the regret sets in when I start seeing the things that I've been doing aren't so good after all. And I think many people live in the Christian life today, they're thinking that they're getting away with something. If God isn't disciplining them in the moment, they think, well, I guess I got away with that one. I guess God's not really concerned about that kind of lifestyle because I seem to be doing fine in it. And uh, I think that's a really dangerous place to be living because when we start thinking we're getting away with something, uh, and I'm not saying that God is up there with a big hammer, with a big whack-a-mole hammer trying to you know, hit you as soon as you pop up. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that God is a good, he keeps good records. <laughs> and he knows what's going on. And he doesn't, he's not easily confused. And he's not, you can't hide from him. You know, a few week, couple weeks ago, I was up in, um, in Chippewa Correctional Facility with the men's care program that you know I was on. That's why Pastor Rip was preaching that Sunday. By the way, he did a great job, as he always does. And, um, you know, going into a prison setting uh, is very interesting for me. It's a little intimidating uh, to begin with because you're going into a place that you're not comfortable there. And uh, you're with some people that have done some really bad things. Um, and, you know, and there's a spirit of darkness in that place. Even though we come in and there's some really good Christians in the prisons, I will say right now, there's some really solid Christian men in prison. But still, the overall environment of their walking through is a dark place. And uh, the thing that I've admired, really, I don't put these men on pedestals at all because they're not good men. But then again, again, but then again, I'm not a good man either. Um, but they're paying a debt to society because they've done some things wrong and they got caught in it. And you know, the ones that are honest with themselves and honest with God. They have a different approach to it. They, they understand discipline now differently than they ever did before. Because some of these men, not all of them, but some of them understand that the crime they committed was really wrong. And it was sad. And they're, they're, they're broken over it. But I think also what I've seen is that they are appreciative of the fact of the discipline of, the, of, of, of our social system because I've had guys tell me, and more than one, numerous guys said, if it wouldn't have been for being in prison, I'd be dead because this saved me. And so as difficult as it is, as it is for them to live in that environment, they're appreciative of being there. And I think they all want to get out eventually. Some of them may never get out. But they appreciate the fact that they know that this life is not their home. 
that they're not they're journeying through prison like we're journeying through our own bondages in the free world um, but yet the discipline has freed them and given them a new hope and a new purpose for living and I thought wow that's that's pretty amazing that men there can live with joy there was one gentleman there um, he was 49 years old and he was entered into the prison system at 19. He's been here 30 years on a life sentence with no parole. So he'll never see a free day in his life. But you know, that man had more joy than a lot of the guys that I've seen in the free world because he knew where his heart was. He knew that Jesus was willing to, could save him and forgive him. And you know, some of the men in those settings, some of them had more problems forgiving themselves than anything else. And I don't mean this, that, that, that we can forgive ourselves and live. We, we're, we, only Jesus can forgive us. But th- we have to come to a point where we let the past be the past. And we have to get on with it. And we have to let that happen, let that go, and release ourselves. You have to do everything you can to make right what you can, and what you can't make right, you release it. That's forgiveness. And we have to forgive ourselves. They do, we do. Sometimes we live in a bondage of our past that we can't get over it because we've done too many things wrong. We can't be forgiven. That's where the devil lives. The devil loves to tell you that lie. The devil loves to just beat you up over and over again. And so sometimes we need to just learn how to uh, discipline ourselves to release ourselves from the guilt because God forgave us. If God can forgive us, then I should be able to forgive myself. Amen? So as a child of God, he disciplines us to chastise us, to strengthen us. And now I want to move on from that kind of discipline to a discipline that is a learned behavior that guides us in our daily lives. Now we're getting to the point where we've been chastised, we've been corrected. Now how, we're, now, how, are, how, are, how are we going to live? What's, what's the next step in our life? How are we going to discipline ourselves? Let's go back and reread our text. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. So now we are um, being disciplined to live a life in our weakness, in our feeble arms, and our weak knees. We're asking God to strengthen us and to give us a level path. We're asking him to um, give us more than what we had before. And he really, the, the, he goes back and he's, he's really talking about what Proverbs chapter 4 tells us. Again, the writer of Proverbs is, is the book of wisdom. And wisdom says that we invite discipline. Wisdom says that we don't shun it, we invite it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Now guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Of all, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. There's some accountability here. Some, uh, that we have to look at discipline now as being trained that it has to help us develop good habits in our life. So the second aspect of God's discipline is not in the form of correction, but it's in the form of training. Again, this is something that challenges us because we all, 
will do what we want to do, whether it's good for us or not. We do for us, ourselves, what seems pleasurable maybe in the moment. But godly discipline would say, is that the best thing to do? Is that the wise choice or is that the easy choice? So discipline takes work. So godly discipline discipline says that, that we are to, according to this passage, we're to guard our hearts. You see, if we allow evil thoughts, then it's only a matter of time before we're evil people. What you think about is what you become, right? So if we're not disciplined to guard our hearts and to do the work of keeping ourselves away from evil, eventually we're going to fall into it. You know, it's like when you're driving down a road and whatever your eyes are focused on is where the car tends to go. Think about it. When you're a good driver, as instructor says, if you see a car parked on the side of the road, don't focus on the car because you're going to want to go into the car. Focus on where you're driving the car. Focus where you're going and avoid the pitfalls of hitting the car on the side of the road. Not a good thing to do. But that's it. See, what, what, if we're not guarding our hearts from the evil around us, then we're going to be directed. We're going to be drawn to that evil. So guard our hearts. Second thing we're to do is we're to avoid language and corrupt speech. Man, how, how easy is it to fall into having a field language? I'll go back to my golf game. Come on, I'll just that's where I'm at. When I'm on a golf course, if I hit a bad shot, I've got to be careful I don't say some bad words. Because easily I can get frustrated with myself and say something I shouldn't say. And you know what? And it's not just for me, but it's for the guys that I'm playing with. Because if they see in my frustration that I let out a few words that I shouldn't say, then it hurts my testimony and it hurts me as a person. So I need to be careful. I need to avoid the language. I need to avoid the things that I don't allow to come out of my mouth when I know it shouldn't be. And how easily it is that we can just slip Maybe the jokes that we speak. Maybe the language that I'm speaking with my, when I'm with the boys or the girls or whatever. We just got to be careful. And here's the, guy, here's the deal. There's no reason to use foul language. I'm sorry. For the people that have to use the F word and, and have to use those words, there's no reason to use that. You know, when I was working in the automotive industry, I worked on a Ford Motor Company. I worked with the, I was a salesman. I was an engineer that, that worked with the factory controls. And I dealt with a lot of uh, engineers. And uh, some of them pretty high-level engineers. And I was amazed. Quite honestly, I was distraught over the language these professional men used. I mean, they got upset, and it was just blue letters coming out of their mouth. It was like smoke. It was unbelievable in the professional world. And I'm thinking, guys, really? You think, do you really need to say that to get my attention? It's just, we don't, there's no reason. It takes discipline. So don't allow the excuse to come up. And then it says we're to stay on the straight path and not to get sidetracked. See, the, here's the deal. Anybody in math knows this or in geometry, the shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line. If you want to get here, then don't go there. Go right to the point. The straightest point between two distance, the shortest point between two distances is a straight line. If you want to make heaven your goal, then don't get sidetracked. Sidetracked. Don't, don't get... Don't allow yourself to go down a path that you know you shouldn't be on because you think it's going to be fun there or whatever the excuse might have. A disciplined Christian makes heaven their final destination 
and they fix their eyes on the target. You know, a few weeks ago, we were reading Hebrews chapter 12. This is how it starts. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Keep on our eyes focused on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? So if we're going to run the race, keep your eyes focused on the, the end. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. If you want to win victoriously, if you want to win the race, then don't allow yourself to get sidetracked. And that's ex- this is exactly what this passage in Hebrews that I just read, this is what it's saying. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Keep your eyes focused. Discipline your eyes. Discipline your life to stay focused on Christ. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Don't allow yourself to hit the boundaries. Don't allow yourself to try to hit that guardrail to see how far can I live to the world? How close can I get to the world and not sin? How many people live that way? How close can I get to the world and not sin? Why? What's the point in that? Do you think there's more fun there? Do you think there's more freedoms there? Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. These are just common sense things. And, And I think when we read God's word and we see the common sense of God's word come in, I think it really helps us to stay out of trouble. Listen, let's just be honest here. The major reason people get into trouble is because they don't exercise godly discipline. Just admit it. Just understand what's what's going on here. The reason we get into trouble is because we're lazy and we allow things in our life to sneak in, to get in, and we're not being diligent to guard our hearts. We allow people that have negative influences to influence us. We allow peer pressure to settle in. Now, we thought that was just in high school. But peer pressure lives all your life. It never stops. And we allow situations. We find ourselves in situations that we shouldn't be in. You know, again, when I was in the prison setting, I had to really guard my heart because I sat down with some of these men and um, because of the clergy role that I had, they could share things with me that I could keep confidential. And some of them told me way too much stuff. I, I didn't, really didn't want to hear it because I had to guard my heart that it didn't settle it on me. Because when they're talking about some of the things they did, it just, I know it was good for them. I know it was a way that they could, you know, get it off their chest and they could, you know, that issue of confession is good. But, you know, I just had to be really careful that I didn't allow it to settle into my spirit. And I think that's a good um, challenge that every counselor has. I'm not a trained counselor. I'm not a trained psychologist. But I know that's probably some of their teaching. And their, their warning is don't allow their problem to become your problem. You have to be able to go home at night and close that door. Don't bring it home with you. Now, you, that doesn't mean you can't pray for them and pray with them. And certainly we can. But we just have to be careful that we don't allow negative influences, the worldly influences to get and settle in our heart because that's not going to help us. It's not going to lead us into the paths that we need to go down. So we have to be careful about that. So let me ask again, what is the purpose of godly discipline? What's the purpose of it? Well, to produce godly people. It's simple. (laughs) It's not complicated. 
It's like your purpose in raising children isn't to raise godly children. Your purpose is to raise godly adults. Your, your purpose is to mature the people that you're responsible for. You, you don't want to grow up. You don't want to have a 30-year-old child. You want to have a 30-year-old adult that has been trained when they were a child to be godly when they're 30 and 40 and 50 and so on. And then you want them to replicate that in their children's lives. So godly discipline is to produce us to be godly people so that then we can help the world that we're in to be godly as well. And so the question that I have to ask, is that what you want? Do you want to be a godly person? Because if, if you don't want to be godly, if you don't want to be a godly person, then God can't help you. If you don't want to be helped, you can't be helped. So you have to recognize how important this is because this has to break down the barriers. That one song we talked about, you know, shake up the walls of all my tradition, break down the walls of my religion. See, sometimes in our religion life, we can become to the point where we don't want to, we, we think we're good. We've got it all figured out and we don't need to have anything that's going to train us and we know we're good. And, uh, you know, we just need to have the, some walls broken down, don't we? You know, I, I watched that movie, Jesus Revolution, the other night. And, uh, you know, that was a challenge for them to allow the hippies to come into that church. And Pastor Rip talked about it a week ago. It was a really good message about patching relationships and how that we can become so stiff in our religion that we miss God's moving in our lives, that we don't allow the hippies of our world to come in. And the hippies can be many forms, Anything that's not like us can be a hippie, right? And how staunch we can get and how good we can be on ourselves that we don't allow God to bring in his real purpose. So that's one of the major purposes of godly discipline is that we need to uh, invite him. So what does it look like? What does it mean? What does godly discipline look like in your life? Well, can I say that we make it way too difficult? If you want to be a godly person, it's not hard. If it's hard, then check your relationship with the Lord. If it's hard to live a godly life, then check your relationship with the Lord. Because it's hard when you're walking the fence. Can anybody walk the fence other than me? Anybody had one foot in the world and one foot in the church other than me? Or am I the only one? Thank you. Somebody else has said, thank you, yes. You know what? And it's hard to be a Christian when you have one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the church. Because when you slip off the fence, it hurts. And so for a person that says, I, I can't be a Christian, then I would say, wait, let's just stop a second here. Let's just take a time out. And let's just go back and let's examine our hearts. Really, what is my heart with Christ? Have I really ever accepted him? Do I want to accept him? Godly discipline really is a joyful way of living. Because when I can have both feet in the church, meaning both feet on the narrow road, both feet trying to get to that straightest point of destination I can with Christ, where I'm running hard to stay with him in the middle of the road and not trying to veer off to the left or right, trying to see if I can have more fun over there, more fun over here. That just brings all kinds of chaos into my life. 
So if I want to live a holy life, it's not hard when I love Jesus. When I recognize all he did for me, then it's not hard to say that, God, you're not expecting that much out of me when you did all you did for me. It's not hard. We make it harder than it is because maybe our heart isn't right. Maybe we're really not who we think we are. So as we get ready to close, Jackie, if you'd come, please. I want to read this passage again, but I want to read it in a New Living Translation. Hebrews chapter 12 in the NLT, it says this. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. I love this passage. I love the way it says, so take a new grip. Get a grip on your life. Stop blaming people for your problems. Get a grip. You're the one responsible. I'm the one responsible. Not my parents, not my upbringing, not the baggage that I carry with me in life. Get a grip (laughs) and take responsibility. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path. You see, here's the thing. We're tired and we're worn out because we're spending too much time and energy in places we shouldn't be. If you're struggling with this, then understand what are you, what are you doing to allow it to happen? What TV shows are you watching? What books are you reading? reading? What friends are you allowing into your life? How much time are you spending with godly people? How important is church to you? How important is it coming together as a body of Christ? You see, if you're struggling with things, go back and look at what are you allowing into your life that would be keeping you from doing the things you should be doing. And, and I know we, we, it sounds like I'm a broken record here, but, you know, Wednesday nights are good. Wednesday nights are good. Come out. Get, make it a priority in your life. Change some things. If you're struggling in some areas, then, you, then change some things. You know, the definition, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That'll make you crazy. If you want to change, then change. Do something different. Make yourself a better person. You have some things to do this. And now I know you can't do this on your own, and I'm not suggesting that. But I'm saying the Holy Spirit will be there to help you if you let him. If you invite the Holy Spirit to come alongside you, he will. Why wouldn't he? Think about it. If you honestly invite Jesus into your heart and invite the Holy Spirit to come alongside you, why wouldn't he help you? If you don't think he will, then you're listening to the liar. Then you're listening to the devil because the devil's lying to you. So as we end this morning, I'd like to just just take some minutes. Let's just bow your heads with me. And let's just take some time and reflect on your life last week. Pastor Rip asked at the very beginning, what was your week like? What was it like? What happened in your life last week? If it wasn't good, why wasn't it good? Now, I know some things happen that are beyond our control. I get that. But 
How many things happened in your life last week that you allowed to happen because you weren't in the right place at the right time? Or maybe you weren't spending time in prayer. Or maybe you weren't reading God's word. I'm not putting guilt trips on here. I'm just bringing things into our own our own wheelhouse of responsibility. God's trying to discipline us. Are we letting him? He's trying to teach us some things. Are we listening to him? Where did I spend my free time last week? What did I think about last week? Where did my free money go last week? Where were my priorities? Where did I allow allow myself to indulge in anything last week that I regret today? You see, regrets can be training aids. Regrets can be like training wheels on a bicycle. When you start feeling regrets in your life, then you need to know that something's got to change. If you can't be happy today, if you can't be happy sharing with Christ today what you did last week, then that's a good indicator that something has to change. And again, this is not a message of condemnation, but it is a time to reflect on the things that I can do to correct some things in my life, and that's where we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you, I thank you that you are a disciplinarian. I thank you that you love me enough, God, that you're going to be my heavenly Father and you're going to spank me when I need to be spanked. And I don't have any problem saying that because that's a good thing. You bring all things, all good things in my life and discipline is a good thing. It's not a negative. And I thank you when you train me. I thank you when you give me the boundaries that I'm to live in. And that's what your holy word is. And I, God, I need to spend more time there, obviously. I need to spend more time praying, obviously. I need to spend more time getting to know what you would really have me to do so that I know that I'm doing the right things and I have no regrets now or in eternity. So, Father, I thank you for discipline. And I thank you, God, for all the things that you allow into my life that would help me to do that, live a life that is holy and righteous. God, make it simple. Make it simple to me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Pastor Rip would love to pray with you, or any of these people that are sitting next to you that love Jesus would love to pray with you. You're not alone. I want you to know that. You're not alone in this life. We help each other. Amen? Stand with me, if you will. Let's sing the song that Tom and Jack here playing.
litmus test for all of us. If the things of this world are really attractive to you, if the things of this world haven't grown dim, if you're so worried about getting more in this life than living for Jesus, that's a good litmus test to you that maybe your heart's not in the right spot. Now, I'm not saying we can't enjoy life. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy a good game of golf. I enjoy a good boat ride. I enjoy all the things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? When I compare that to living a life of discipline, a life for Christ, those things grow dim to me. I would rather be doing the things that I know God is pleased with. I would rather be in church. I'd rather be in a setting like this than on a golf course right now. There's nothing that would want to take me out of here. So if you don't have those things that are, that are motivating you, then I invite you to check your life. And I'm talking to the people online as much as anybody else because, see, there's so many things that can distract us and we think they're good things, but what they're really doing, they're leading us down that wide road that's going to destruction because we're allowing ourselves to get distracted. And again, we can enjoy life. And I invite you to enjoy life. Grab it with all you got, but don't let it become your all goal. Don't let it be the distraction. Does that make sense? Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, help us, challenge us, direct us, guide us, discipline us, Lord, and lead us so that this world really does grow dim and we see you brighter all day long, every day for us, that we're attracted to the light. Like a moth is attracted to the light, we're attracted to your light. We're attracted to your goodness and your kingdom. And I pray you strengthen us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great week.